Good afternoon, hasta la mañana. La mañana? Oh. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome t- to uh, episode nine of Less Rock, More Talk. We've got the title right. Nine episodes in, I think we're hitting smooth sailing. Uh, we've gotten past the speed bumps. Keith Hebert's not on the show this week. <laughs> it's going good. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, excited to share a list for an important week that happened uh, roughly about 30 years ago. So this was the recording of this episode. The bir- I'm, I'm talking about, of course, the birth of my younger brother, Spencer. And also the very same day, the falling of the Berlin Wall, <laughs> which I think that was uh, Omen. My brother was born, and then the Berlin Wall fell. The Germans uh, heard the news that Spencer McGrath was born, and they were like, we don't have to live behind these walls anymore. <laughs> Knock down these walls. David Hasselhoff was there uh, a little bit later <laughs> with his light-up jacket and his piano scarf, and it was a wonderful time for the world. And was it a wonderful time for music? Well, we will see over the course of this episode. Um, I'm going to thank our sponsors, Squarespace and Blue Chew. And uh, BeefJerky.net. <laughs> I'm just get, we're just going to get into it. It's a big week. Great. In history, I'm going to introduce... Uh, this, is, this is less rock, more talk. Uh, each week, we count down a different Billboard rock chart. Uh, from the time of the, the start of the Billboard rock chart in March 81 till the end of 2012. Um, and yeah, um, we're presented by the Nick Robes Podcast Network. And that's season to my introduction of uh, the co-host of the show and the producer of the podcast and the founder of the Nick Robes Podcast Network, Nick Robes. Hi. <laughs> uh, uh, 1989. Uh, we're, we're seeing the end of the 80s here, although it will hold on for the next 30 years. Uh, as I don't think see. we've ever really let go of the 80s. No, nobody's. No. Uh, uh, I love the 80s. Strike back, even. that that The show alone had sequels. <laughs> the 80s will continue forever. It's like one of those uh, important decades. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I would have been three around this time, so I don't remember the Berlin You're Wall coming down. You're not conscious of the Berlin Wall falling down? No, but I've definitely uh, seen plenty of pieces of the Berlin Wall in Shh. weird places. Sure. Right on the right here in downtown Portland on Commercial Street. Downtown Portland. Huge, huge chunk of it. Yeah, there's a big not chunk. Not just a it. piece. It's like a big, like, seven-foot-tall chunk. Yeah, there's one at Universal Orlando. I don't know why. They what decided. place represents freedom and capitalism more than Universal <laughs> Studios in Orlando? You know what? Point taken. Yeah. <laughs> Point taken. I wonder how they got um, how that seven foot uh, chunk of the Berlin Wall. They got that on past airport baggage. <laughs> that, that, it was more relaxed in the eighties, though. Yeah, but also the idea of just like you're filling out like you know your your uh, 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 immigration paperwork. It's like, what are you bringing with you? It's like the Berlin Wall. They're like, whoa, <laughs> we just got rid of that. It's like, no, literally, I have a piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm bringing with me an iron curtain. Is that cool? Uh, excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Who is our guest 
for today, Connor. Our guest for today, he is a uh, a local rock expert. We're lucky to get him. Ooh. He's only available about three weeks a year between baseball season and ski season ramping up. So this recording just... We're, we're kind of hitting the interrenum, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he has a voice familiar if you listen to Portland Classic Rock Stations, as we do. Uh, Frank FM's Leif Erickson. And good day to both of you. How was it discovering America? You know, <laughs> do you get those jokes all the time? All the time. Actually, it's funny. I uh, traveled to Europe this past summer, and uh, I spent one day in Iceland on the way to Finland. And everything in Iceland is named after Leif Erikson. <laughs> like literally, as soon as I crossed passport control, they were looking at my passport and doing the like up and down and like, Leif yeah, Erikson, really, like, really, yeah, right. <laughs> or also like, please come this way. Yes, we had yeah. no idea that you were coming. <laughs> and of course, on the way back through Keflavik Airport, I got the uh, special. Uh, side security screening so i had to go in the secret room and all that and, you know with the swabs and all that so, and they're like what is in this box and old records <laughs> <laughs> i had to bring back i found uh uh oh my god now i can't even remember the name who did uh 99 lift balloons nina. Oh, nina nina i have old nina first pressings <laughs> i did find a uk pressing of uh the flock which is like a weird band that had a guy that would soon end up in mahavishnu orchestra but yeah <laughs> That, right. that was the most. Oh yeah, and I found a pristine copy of Todd Rundgren's uh, uh, "Run to the Ballad of Todd Rundgren," which is Ooh. one of my top five all-time favorite albums. You can't find it in any vinyl shop anywhere. Around no, because so. everybody kept their copies. Yeah, so yeah, I'm basically my life's quest is to hoard nice copies of this because so so none of you can have them. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> and is there a, a loftier goal in life? Uh, we we have to have some goals, you know, <laughs> some big, some small, but. That's one for you me. know, and you know who owns a copy of Runt, the Bout of Tondra, and get on final. Your dad, exactly, <laughs> Steve McGrath. My dad. I, I, if we uh, indulge, it doesn't have anything to do with 1989. Stop but I can, if we can indulge the story of my t the time my dad met uh, Todd Rundgren. Mm. Uh, my dad was in a band with BB Buell. Oh, okay. who was married to Todd Rundgren? Great uh, at the time, and uh, they were uh, recording some demos out in Woodstock, New York, where Todd. Todd Rundgren has his studios, huh. and uh, my dad and the rest of the band, they slept in the studios where Cheap Trick was recording their album, Next Position, Please. Wow. And uh, Todd Rundgren came by the studios and met BB's bandmates, and uh, three of them were named Steve, <laughs> including my dad. And my dad was the third Steve on the position and uh, on the line. And Steve three. Uh, Steve, he was Steve three. And my dad is a huge. Todd Rundgren is one of my dad's favorite singers. And uh, when he got to my dad, he was like, Todd Rundgren was like, oh great, another Steve. <laughs> my dad was just crushed. Uh, how much does your dad want for his uh, run to the ballad of Todd Rundgren album? By the way. Uh, he might be willing to sell it, but maybe not. He's always like, he's like, I need to get rid of records. But then he's like, I don't want to sell that record. Yeah, okay. right. Well, I do that or his truck. He strung along, uh, he strung along uh, Boxed Wine's Adam on the selling of his truck. My dad was like, I'm going to sell my truck for $4,000. And Adam was like, that's great. I'll pay you $4,000. And he was like, and my dad was like, I don't know if I want to sell that. I don't know if I can sell that. <laughs> do, you, do you want a Todd Rundgren record instead? <laughs> I'll start at 20 bucks. We'll just go from there. <laughs> Sight unseen. I think we should have my dad on sometime on the podcast. It sure sounds like it. <laughs> Spiritually, he is the spirit animal. I know. He's uh, he's here even when he's uh, he's not here. He shows up frequently. So I am old enough to remember the whole Berlin Wall thing because I was in uh, middle school Kay. at that time. And uh, I, maybe I don't remember, you know, I, I watched a lot of news because that that's what I did. Um, maybe not any specifics, but but I still remember 
Uh, so I would have been in seventh grade at that time. But, you know, there was like the lead up and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the, the things were changing in, in, in Eastern Europe and, and et cetera. And uh, so in sixth grade earlier in 1989, I, I don't know if either. Did you guys get scholastic news? Yes. 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 OK. So at the time, it was like a rainy day. So it was indoor recess. And that was scholastic news day. So there was a stack of scholastic newses sitting on the, uh, on the table in, in the sixth grade classrooms. we had like two classrooms. We opened the door for, you know, uh, indoor recess and somebody decided once told me the world is going to roll me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, on the cover of the scholastic news was Mikhail Gorbachev huh. and somebody just decided to take it you know, because we're in sixth grade. What, what do we know? USA good, USSR bad. Sure. Or Gorby. You know, so somebody decided to tear up the scholastic news and be like, die, Gorby. <laughs> and then somebody else joined in. And then another person joined in. Oh, no. the, the entire class tore up that week's scholastic news. We were yelling, Gorby, the whole time. <laughs> and of course, say, you. <laughs> The monitor, the guy, whoever was acting as monitor, was he was kind of like the, the chill social studies teacher. Right. He didn't say a word. He just kind of watched the whole thing take place. Silently changing yeah. to himself, USA. And, and, then USA. It, it, and then, of course, a couple hours later, lunchtime comes around and a, a list of names is read off. And my, <laughs> mine was on there. I was a pretty well-behaved kid. I didn't get in a lot of trouble. But uh, we all had to stay after school and write essays. Would you uh, consider yourself uh, something of a political prisoner? for? Uh... <laughs> yeah, now that I think of it, you know. Now that I'm all grown up with hindsight. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was getting that political at that age. Uh, of course, uh, I had heavy opinions on O.J. Simpson. Uh, uh, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan was big for me. Uh, I watched the O.J. trials with I, my, my grandfather. Yeah, I uh, I don't know why. I thought he was innocent at the time. It's really weird. Hindsight. Yeah, hindsight is a blessing. When I was a, a freshman in college, so that would have been, you know, the fall of 95, uh, I was taking an exam in an English class and uh, when the verdict came down, a guy got the message on his beeper. <laughs> and he shared it with the class. <laughs> we interrupted the exam. <laughs> he just took his pager out All and right. said, yeah, okay, here's the verdict. There's an episode of uh, Monday Night Raw um, from that time where... Vince McMahon's like, is OJ guilty? Is he innocent? Call this 800 number. <laughs> you know, wasn't it wasn't a, wasn't a 900 it. number? Yeah. yeah, right. Still making money. Uh, well, shall we dive in? Let's, Let's cut it do up it. and tear it open. November 11th, 1989, the mm. Berlin well Wall fell a couple days that week. Uh, on Saturday Night Live that night, I always like to, since these charts were on Saturdays, Saturday Night Live, it's a good one. Okay. Uh, guest host. I didn't know this person hosted SNL. Uh, tennis superstar Chris Everett. Wow, okay. hosting SNL. Musical guest The Arrhythmics, who I didn't know, who didn't know were still together in '89. They, they were kind of uh, the tailing off by that point. Yeah, I okay. think that was their last album. Marvelous. That's a that's a that's a that's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, well, honorable mentions. Let's start with the honorable mentions. Okay. Um. And I snuck in another honorable mention. Oh, we a got third three. One, just because uh, per per our guests' contractual obligations, I had to tie in a third one. Uh, 33, uh, falling down the charts. It peaked at number three on the mainstream rock charts. We got Poco. The big comeback. Big comeback. A uh, song called Call It Love. Okay. 
And this was off their reunion album. And I was, when I first uh, was looking at this chart when I was putting together the sh- uh, show, I was like, what? Poco had an album in 1989? <laughs> They're an early 70s uh, country rock band, kind of most known for being the band that Richie Fure was in after Buffalo Springfield. Okay. And the band that uh, Randy Meisner and Timothy B. Schmidt were in before the Eagles. Mm. Right. Um, but in 1989, they were, for some reason, they were reunited at the urging of the only man in 1989 that could get Poco back together, Richard Marks. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> got Poco back together and got them signed to his record label, and they had a big uh, rock hit. Right. It is not bad. Not bad. And it's their second best selling album. We've got all night. Mm. I think the great. Uh, criminal thing about this was Timothy B. Schmidt was not involved. No. Because you know, he wasn't in the original lineup. I mean, but Randy Meisner was barely there for the first one. Yeah. But he got to come back for Call he got to come back for yeah. the... Richard Marks was like, no, we cannot have more than two members of the Eagles. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> let, let's face it, Randy Meisner didn't have much going on for him at the time. Timothy B. Schmidt had uh, a minor hit uh, like a year or two before. What, what was it called? Uh, it was like a night out with the boys or something. Yeah, seventy five albums. The, missing had the title. That name. It was one of those like solid, you know, number thirty five. Boys, the Ni- boys, boys night, night out. out. Thank you very much. Peaked at number twenty five uh, on the uh, top uh, hot one hundred. And it had it. It had a video that I felt was kind of a knockoff of uh, Dan Hartman's "I Can Dream About You." Just a little bit. They were like in a bar and all that stuff, and <laughs> bad haircuts and all all that. Or all the great things that haircuts. come. With, yeah, all the great things that come with nineteen eighty nine. So, but it's funny. So I I didn't really listen to that song in a long time. So I I brought it up and uh, just full disclosure, you, you sent me a little a little playlist on Spotify just to kind of get me jazzed up sure. for the, the session. And when it was done, it sort of went off in its other tangent. So it started playing another Poco song, which I had never heard before. Clearly, this is more recent. And uh, when I first heard it. Uh, I heard this like guitar figure and I was like, wow, this sounds a lot like Dan Fogelberg's The Innocent Age, which is interesting because Richie Fure actually sang backing vocals on that track. Anyway, it was not that. It was a song called Neil Young. And the premise of this song is Rusty Young seems to believe that people think Neil Young is his brother. <laughs> because apparently this is some wild rumor that needed to be, you know, have the, the fire needed extinguisher be, put yeah, on it. In song form. So he's singing about it, and he doesn't sound very kind to, uh... Oh, did we find it here? Yeah, that acoustic guitar. Back in the 60s when we were all hippies With patched up jeans Yeah, it it only gets worse. He compares, uh, he he says that Neil Young has as much money as Donald Trump in it or something. I feel like he recorded this before Trump got into politics. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But but anyway, uh, he wanted to put that rumor to bed that uh, he was Neil Young's brother. So uh, thankfully- He did not want to be associated. You would think he would want to be associated. Well, it kind of sounds like Neil Young. (laughs) 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 I am not not affiliated with Neil Young. And the (laughs) set- So this is proof that they really needed the song doctors to come in for their their big comeback effort. Right. But, but again, I will say that To Call It Love is a pleasant enough song, and uh, I, I don't hit the button when I hear it. Yeah, I mean, it's not Yacht Rock, but it's uh, it's mm. Yacht Rock adjacent. It's yeah. got a nice little... Uh... Yeah, and Poco will always have you know legitimacy in my book because they, they actually put out uh, the greatest country rock song of the 1970s, which was Rose of Cimarron. 
1976. Whoa. So, All right. It should have been a much bigger hit than it was. Put it, that in your books. It out-eagles the Eagles. <laughs> nice. Uh, so there we go. All right. Well, so next honorable mention. Next honorable mention at number 18, we've got Bad English. Oh, yeah. Okay. With uh, When I See You Smile. Okay. And uh, Contractual Obligation. Uh, Bad English, of course, features Neil Sean, the guitarist for Journey. Yeah. And yeah. not a nice man. <laughs> no. What do you got against Neil Sean? Uh, he's a he's a great guitar player. He just wasn't very nice to me when I met uh, okay. him. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you were just talking in general. Steve well, O'Jerry, though, the guy who replaced Steve Perry, very nice. He's just ha- probably happy to be Yeah, he was happy not working be. at the Gap anymore. He was happy to be there. <laughs> so, Ooh. here's the thing about this song for me, and this is only because of like a campaign I saw a few years ago. I always associate this song with... I think it's Aspen Dental. Yes. I was yes. just going to say they had a commercial for Aspen Dental. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it when I mm-hmm. use I get it. But, okay, so you've got Neil Sean in this, and, and also Jonathan Kane, who, you know, the two, like, seem to not be able to be in the same room, but when mm. the big offers come in to tour for Journey, yeah. they, they seem to be able to suck it up. Sure. Uh, this is off the self-titled album. It's also on about 75 80s compilations. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Yeah. All right. mm. Everything you want. Berlin Wall's coming down. The world is smiling. Yeah, we're just all drinking Cokes and loving life. <laughs> they got a yeah, they got an intense album cover. <laughs> they got, I mean, they don't know whether they want to be like White Snake or Adam Ant. <laughs> Yeah, you, you hear it, and, and you're definitely thinking about the Aquanet and all that, mm. but uh, but I, I just don't get the vibe from the album when I hear it. They try as they might, but yeah. uh, but that's amazing. Journey falls apart, and all the, there's all these splinters, because there was that, and then there was, uh, I, I think it was a couple years later, but Greg Raleigh and Ross Valerie in The Storm. Yes. Yes. Great. All Great. these things happening just because you know, grunge still had a couple of years, you know, so, so a lot of bad behavior going on. <laughs> It is my theory that the 80s actually continued to about the, the end, end of summer 91. Yeah. I might even be dating that a little bit early. They but. always seem to kind of be transplanted mm-hmm. about five years. Yeah. Like t- from where you, from like the stereotypes that you think of always seem to be about five years removed from the actual decade itself. But I will say this, and I know that uh, is Connor's on my side here, that uh, the, the glory years for, for most of these musicians involved with When I See You Smile, we're going back to the, like the early to, to mid-70s. Original yes. Journey. I am a Original big proponent of, okay. of like prog rock. Uh, Pre-Steve Perry Journey. Yes. Yeah, three right. albums. Three albums before. Greg Raleigh uh, singing. Huh? Exactly. Most of the yeah. songs. Okay. So you know, it was I big, think we, didn't we? You know, yeah. I was a big fan of uh, pre-Steve Perry Journey. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad? Yes. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will make this recommendation. If, you, if you're a vinyl collector, you can usually find cheap copies of the, the two-record compilation called In the Beginning, and it, it gets basically all the essential highlights from the first three albums. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't call it A Journey Begins With One Step. <laughs> 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 like There seem to be so many easy, like right-over-the-plate titles for this, mm-hmm. <laughs> for this compilation. <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you what, the first two of the albums the self-titled and uh, what was the second one on a Saturday night uh, uh, 
album titles on the tip of my tongue here from 76. The first two mm. I thought were really good. The third one next, eh, it was okay, but it was like, okay, we, we've got to, you know, punk is happening. we got to lose this stuff. Not that they were going to jump into punk or anything. But. Right, but like how do you deal with being mm-hmm. like a, uh, uh, you know, schlocky might not be the right word, but, you know, semi-schlocky in, the, in an era where angst and mm-hmm. irony is starting to dominate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the uh, album What's cover the of Next, uh, it, it almost looks like they went straight to the Sears photo booth to have it done. <laughs> oh it yeah. yeah. Neil Sean has his big afro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the little the little porn stash too. Yeah. He's uh, and wearing a, a like a, a like a leather vest with no shirt underneath and a big uh, peace <laughs> sign. Uh, That's it. Right there. That's the look. I will say though, I and a lot of people will drag me for this. I actually love their cover of uh, the Beatles. Uh, it's all too much. From the second album, okay, yeah, it's it's not terrible. <laughs> and what higher praise is there than that? <laughs> it's I'm not, not terribly. I'm not saying on the reissues. Uh, yeah, the reissues no, uh, of that Journey album's uh, cover uh, it should have. A, it's not terrible. It's not fact, terrible. Their cover of "It's All Too Much" is not terrible. I will never say it's better than the original, but it's not terrible. All right. Okay. Uh, well, so you said you had a third honorable. We have mention? a third one. Okay. Uh, I mm. did. Uh, Neil uh, really Leaf had rules. a. We have to have a, a journey. Uh, early journey, seventies journey discussion. Okay, and we was, did, and, and we I, did. So I that's thank you for indulging me. Contractual ob- obligations. Uh, number eleven, uh, coming out of the top ten. It was in the yeah, top ten just previous week. Didn't make it. In just this didn't week. quite make it. But it is a song. I'm kind of surprised it's not in the top ten on this important week in history. Okay. Billy Joel's. Oh, we didn't uh, start the fire. Jesus. At number eleven. Okay. Is, is this the official uh, OK Boomer anthem now? Yes. I was going to say, I was yeah. like, this is something only a baby boomer could have made a song called uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. Like a song that was trying to encapsulate 40 years of United States history. I was just watching uh, Billy Joel. He was on Brian Johnson's talk show on Access TV. ACDC Brian Johnson has a show. <laughs> really? On Access TV called The Life on the Road. You have you've been off Twitter for a while. I was I was like, I, this is something I should table. I was for not me. aware of this show. Yes, it's a it's a British talk show, but it airs in the U.S. on uh, Access TV. I'm just curious to hear what Brian Johnson's speaking voice sounds like. It's I've very well. <laughs> hey, very... you doing tonight? <laughs> no, he talks like a... my guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, just... one thing I remember though is when you got the CD booklet out. It actually, you know, st- he listed the year, started 1949, mm. which, of course, was the year of Billy Joel's birth. Yes. So it's a very me kind of thing for him. Yep. And he was, yeah, he was, Brian Johnson was like, what prompted, we didn't start the fire. He was like, well, I turned 40 and I wanted to think, list off all the songs that had happened in U.S. history during my life. So one thing, and I don't think people talk about this enough with this song. Okay. He barely mentions anything from the 70s. He, like, glosses over yeah. the 70s. There's a whole decade of stuff going on there. Is that when he was living in the laundromat? Well, he started the decade in the laundromat with Attila there. Yeah. But it's like he signed his record contract. and he then he, and then he liked, in the 70s. And then he, like, read three newspapers for the rest of the decade. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to say about Jimmy Carter. Yeah. No, nothing at all. Like it basically, it's Woodstock, Watergate, Watergate punk rock. We went yeah, from Watergate to punk rock. Like yeah, early seventies to mid seventies. To then the you got the 70s. Ayatollah, and then it's on to the eighties. You know, he played piano on leader for the leader of the pack. 
So there's, I've heard two stories about this. Yeah. One is it was just a demo and it wasn't the finished recording, and the other is obviously it's the finished recording, and nobody can seem to figure out which is correct. Probably because nobody can remember. <laughs> Anybody who was actually there, it was like just rushed in and rushed out. Everybody's like, yeah. we got an hour of studio time, go. P- perhaps the uh, producer Shadow Morton did not keep the same uh, meticulous records as uh, the, the Phil Spectres of the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. He was uh, he was 15 when they made leader of the pack. Mm. He, he was... said he told Howard Stern in 2010 that he played on one of the demos, but he wasn't sure if it made the final recording. Oh. So that sounds fake on on the on the surface, but it actually might be true that he played on leader at least an early version of leader of the pack. Yeah. The only thing I I I, I feel like down Easter Lex is a better song. I go to extremes is a better song off this album, but um, it's uh. It's funny because all I can think of is in the office when they're singing it, and the only line that Dwight can remember is Marilyn Monroe, and he just keeps singing <laughs> that. But I mean, as far as the list song goes, it's fine. It's fun. It's fun in history class when the history teacher gives you the list and tries to see how many. Yeah, I, I do relate to one thing in that song. It's very biased to baseball as markers of of time. And I'm a big baseball guy, so, so is Billy I, I can Joel. relate. Yeah, and that's exactly. why you're a big B- Billy Joel fan. He makes he always plays a couple different ballparks. Well, every and, and he incorporated uh, baseball references in a lot of his previous songs, like uh, Zanzibar. You know, the Yankees grab the headlines every time. Uh, Stuff uh, like that. Miami 2017. Pick the Yankees up for free. Yeah. See, I can't. I can't hate that moment in that song when I hear the live version because he's playing Madison Square Garden, and I hate the Yankees. But yeah. like hearing the and and actually having seen him last year at Madison Square Garden doing that song, it, it makes you like a Yankee fan for like two seconds because <laughs> you're like, yeah, all right, this feels good. It's such a nice musical moment too because he's like, and gave the Yankees up for free, and like everybody just goes ape shit. Mm-hmm. It's great. Does he say the? Did he say the Mets when he played uh, Shea Stadium? <laughs> doesn't doesn't scan doesn't, well. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, and uh, no, but nobody's picking the Mets up for free, <laughs> right? Huh? What? <laughs> uh, but okay, Billy Joel. I'm glad to see him here, even in the honorable mentions. I uh, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit uh, for his vast catalog. It's wonderful. He knew the right time to quit. He quit it. He's talking to Brian Johnson. He's like, I was 44 when I made River of Dreams. I was like, I can't make rock and roll music anymore. I was like, I don't have anything hip and relevant to say anymore. I'm just going to play the old the hits for rich boomers for the rest of my life. Good it, it plan. Is, it is interesting, though, because I just the last Billy Joel album I cared about was Storefront. Uh, Stormfront, rather. I, Storefront was what he drove into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but uh, I just never got into River of Dreams. It just never really gelled with me. I, I think. No Man's Land was like the the original rock hit from that one, and I just I was like, ah, oh, this is, yeah, yeah. I just never really got into it. What was uh, what was before River of Dreams? Wasn't there? Wasn't because it went Stormfront and then River of Dreams and then that what, was it. That was wasn't it. there the uh, what album had Matter of Trust? That was that was the bridge. The bridge so oh. eighty six. Okay, okay. Mm. Uh, right on. I like that song a lot, and I still maintain that both Ringo Starr and uh, Paul McCartney are in the video. <laughs> If you watch that video, you'll be like, that's Ringo Starr. Like, Ringo Starr's just there. Why is he there? Is he in there? I don't think he is. There is no confirmation, but Krister and I will swear until the day we die that he is in that video. You look at him, and you're like, that is Ringo Starr. I will need to revisit that. I haven't seen it in several years. It's a fun video. Uh, Excellent. Well, this, of course, dives us right into the top ten. Okay, it's showtime. Showtime. Top ten. Coming in at number ten is the uh, band led by Jason Bonham. Oh. 
son of John Bonham, called Bonham. It's the name of the band. <laughs> it's a song called Wait For You. Uh, I would say it's somewhat inspired by Jason Bonham's father's band. Yeah? You think? Just a little bit. Okay. All right. I'm interested. I, I hear a different thing here, but but go ahead if you've got it to queued up there. Uh... I will say I've, I've actually seen Jason Bonham once when he was the drummer for Foreigner. Our station had a big show up in uh, Saddleback in Rangeley, like in, hmm. I think it was like 2007. And Jason Bonham was the drummer for Foreigner at Great. that time. So it's like, okay, we only have one original member, but look at this guy. Yeah, yeah right. We got this guy. He's and a they, they did a, they did a little, Yeah, they did a little Led Zeppelin uh, medley, which was kind of fun. Okay, so as this opens up, I'll tell you what I hear. This sounds like... Sounds like a song that just didn't make the cut of a Robert Plant solo album. Yeah. Okay. With a guy singing that resembles Billy Squire a little bit. <laughs> Who is kind of ripping off Robert Plant. Uh, I'm just going to say terrible title uh, for the album. <laughs> the Disregard of Timekeeping? That, that album cover, somebody's getting thrown over the bar. Uh, they're like, oh, we can do better than Principle of Moments. Yeah, right. Producer of the album, Bob Ezrin. Oh, wow. Legendary rock. Star power right there. This almost... a little bit more prog rocky. Yeah, but it it sounds a little bit like it it would fit in nicely on uh, my favorite Robert Plant album, which was uh, Fate of Nations. It, you know, which was four years to come after this one. But it Mm. almost sounds like a cut that, that could fit in on Fate of Nations. Hmm. Only with a guy that's pretending to be Billy Squire on vocals. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Bonham. Well done, uh, uh, Jason. Coming in at number nine off of his uh, first solo album, Full Moon Fever, we got Tom Petty oh, yeah. with Love is a Long Road. And I always thought Tom Petty's solo albums were interesting because most of the Heartbreakers are on them. There's really no reason not to call it a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album. I'm not sure what made him distinguish, like what uh, what makes it a solo album, what makes it a Heartbreakers album. Yeah, right. It's like uh, the news is still here, but he's just calling himself Huey Lewis. Yeah, it's just like well, this feels. It's funny. Phil Collins was able to, you know, have that separation and use different guys on his solo albums. He like he, you know, he didn't have Mike Rutherford coming by to lay down a bass part or anything, you know. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, Steve Perry's solo, right? Mm. But again, have... you know, I think it's all just because. All right, this is something different because Jeff Lynne is producing this. Yeah, and you know, I mean, he was he probably did tons of over overdubs himself, you know. Yeah, this is not a single off of uh, Full Moon Fever. I mean, it's an album cut, so the mainstream rock charts, that's one of the things yeah, to talk about. But I mean, it doesn't got, have to be a single at, to make the At charts. least half of these albums got airplay either in the pop realm or in the rock realm. I mean, it was just a monster. Yeah. And plus, my parents played this album nonstop, like, to the point where I actually didn't even like Tom Petty until like the latter half of the 90s. It took some college friends to really have me see the light. Yeah. All right. And then I finally saw him uh, him and the Heartbreakers in uh, summer of 99. And it was an awesome show, what I remember of it anyway. <laughs> I will say, it's not my favorite on this album, but I would. Ne- this is not a track I would skip. No, this is a good song. It's better than Zombie Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, honestly, this you can't go wrong with this album. You really can't. Yeah. 
it's rocking. Yeah, it's got it's it going on. One yeah. of the more rocking songs on. And I, I know there's a lot of critics out there that that criticize uh, Jeff Lynne's production, calling it overproduction. But when I mm. hear some of the other stuff on this list, and that you know, classic late '80s overdoing it, that, that yeah, this very earthy album. It sounds very theme. earthy by yeah. 1989 yeah. standards. By those standards, absolutely. It's, yeah, they're only comparing it to like 1970s. Yeah, exactly. Production. Right, right. I mean, it does sound overproduced if you're holding it up against you know whatever. Born in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, number eight. Coming in at number eight, we've got White Snake. Oh boy! Jesus. Uh, with a song called "Fool for Your Lovin." Yes, Redux. Oh, I am going to be talking for hours now. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is now. We have hit a weird spot for me. You're a big uh, fan of uh, Adrian Vanderberg area White Snake. Nope, Steve Vai. Steve oh. Vai. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Steve Vai was. Uh, I think on the album, but uh, and toured with them because this is when he started uh, really pipping himself out and being like an actual uh, a solo artist. So there was like a section in the concert where like he would do like a Steve Vai song while David Coverdale presumably fixed his hair. <laughs> uh, but this this song is so ridiculous. The guitar solo is insane, and I also have a theory that Steve Vai just recorded all the guitar parts. And then they were like, oh, shit. Uh, and so there's a thing in it where uh, the other guitar player, if you look at the album notes, they're like, special thanks to Steve Vai for recording all the guitar parts uh, because uh, he broke his arm. And I'm just like, nah, he just recorded the whole album. And they were like, ah, shit, we don't have any space for you, buddy. Yeah. But it reeks of this style of guitar playing. And of course, it should be mentioned that this is a rehash of a much older White Snake song from the early '80s. Oh, interesting! Right. Yeah. As, as, as same with here, I go again. Exactly, because yeah. the original was like '82. I think the original of this was from like '81, '80, 80, '81. Yeah, yeah. And and that's back like when it truly was like a Deep Purple spinoff because you had John Lord in the band around that time. Yeah. But now this came and it's you know hair metal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Covered it as the firmly. only constant. <laughs> But of course, you know, they had a monster smash with Here I Go Again in redoing it. So obviously it's like, well, let's go back to the well. Yeah, right. Um, Also, this is just the worst title names. Uh, Slip of the Tongue. And then it wasn't the next album, Slide It In. Slide It In was before. (laughs) It's the worst. Slip of the Tongue, Slide It In. So this was uh, White Snake's last album. After this, they were done until 1997. Steve I ended them. So yeah, they took a, <laughs> this whole uh, shuffling uh, guitar virtuosos. Yeah, get him in. He was also f- like fresh off the heels of Alcatraz at this point because he replaced Ingve Malmsteen and oh, Al- yeah. Alcatraz for like an album. Yeah, and then and of course you know he blew up uh, being. Uh, uh, Diamond Dave's guitar player. Yeah, it was like, who is he going to pick after the the monster of Eddie Van Halen? It's like, who's Bryce Harper going to sign with this off? Yeah, right? right. And then all of a sudden, like you know, Steve Vai, this like weird ass dude who's carving handles in his guitar, shows up, and people were just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm just going on tour with Robert Fripp. You know? <laughs> uh, it was much later, I think. 
check him out on the next G3 tour where him and Joe Satriani hang out with a third dude. Yeah, so so that was like, it was like a rock hit, but it just, it didn't have nearly the staying power of like, is this love and, and still of the night and no. all those things. So so proof that you can only go back to the well so many times. Right, yeah. I don't See, want... now, now Steve Winwood did not make this this mistake because <laughs> you remember he, he went back to the well and they remixed Valerie and it became a hit much later. Yep. He, he didn't go back to the well and be like, all right, I'm taking Night Train and adding big drums to this, which actually would have been a travesty, but... Yeah, I, I think that the album in general, I mean, I think the song is fine. I think it's very easily forgettable, but I think that that album in general is just kind of like, it, it reeks of like, okay, well, here's all the like, the the uh, 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 tent poles that were supposed to hit, you know, you have like a ballad in there, you have like, you know, but it's just kind of like, I think unless you're you're into the lore of it, I think it falls apart real quick. Uh, mm. Kitten's Got Claws is a, a, a banging tune, though. <laughs> I, I missed that one. I'm sorry. No, you didn't miss anything. Okay. <laughs> Cheap and nasty. Oh, all of these are terrible. Uh, oh, sailing ships, wings of the storm. They had a real like they were trying to go for like Zeppelin like epic shit on this album too. It was just a few years away from Coverdale Page. Speaking of, oh, there you go. Yeah, back, back back to the summer of '93. You got Fate of Nations and Coverdale Page. It was a good summer for uh, you Young know Zep- the remnants of Zep. <laughs> Uh, excellent. All right. I'm shocked to see that one on there, but happy it came to stay. Uh, number seven. Number seven, we got uh, the Smithereens, Ooh. a band crossing over from the alternative charts, the early alternative charts, with a song off their big album, Eleven, called A Girl Like You. Hmm. Not a bad one here. This is a good one. I think this is one of maybe one of the, the maybe the one that's aged the best. Yes, I I would say of this song, and I'm not really a Smithereens expert, although sadly their uh, their leader passed away what just a couple of years ago. Yep. But to me, for 1989, this this is like the most organic. It's the least contrived. Yep. You know when you consider what was big around that time. Mm. I used to travel in the shadows. Like, this could be from 79, it could be from 99. Yeah, it, it ages very well. Yeah, the drums definitely date it, but I think that the Other vocals that, yeah. feel, like, super fresh. Because it's almost, like, like straddling a line between, like, new wave and, uh, 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 like, just balls rock. Yeah, yeah. power I pop. Mean, yeah. Th- these guys were not paying attention to hair metal or anything. No, they were know. just doing their thing. Mm. I feel like they probably missed the... I think if they'd come out five years later, maybe they would have done a, a, even better. Oh, yes. If they came out... They were big in the mid-90s rather than the late 80s. I mean, if only John Hughes had put them in a soundtrack, they would have blown up. <laughs> oh, they were cut off. I was just looking on the uh, the Wikipedia for the page. This song was cut out of Say Anything. Oh, oh they, my God. Man. Because they thought it was, they thought it, uh, was tied too closely with it, to the movie. Interesting. And oh. then the the... The Smithereens were like, we haven't, we didn't see the movie before we <laughs> watched it. <laughs> All right, well, Peter Gabriel, here's another eight zillion dollars. Yeah, right. It was written. Oh, he was written on assignment for Cameron Crowe's. I, I, uh, I will retract what I said. He, uh, Denizio, he wrote the lyrics based on the screenplay, and then Cameron Crowe and the producer were just like, this is just revealing the plot of the movie. It's like <laughs> cut it off the soundtrack. Uh, speaking of Peter Gabriel, this has been stuck in my craw. I finally listened to the whole of So. Like, I'd never listened to the whole album before. And, uh, wow, Dave Matthews just ripped off his whole thing from Peter Gabriel, huh? That's an interesting take. 
I mean, you listen to you put on so, and like somebody in the back of your head says like, "Hey, this is a Dave, this is an early Dave Matthews album." You'll be like, "What? Oh, I I guess it That's, is." You know, I've never I've never heard it that way before. It's crazy. You listen to Red Rain and tell me that Dave Matthews didn't just listen to that and was like, "Oh, this is what I'm going to do." For See, the rest of my when life. I hear it, I just think, "Oh, he's been listening to a lot of Brian Eno." So here we go, <laughs> you know, which is a good thing in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God, God love Brian Eno. Yes. But uh, but yeah, I've never I've never made that sonic connection before. So now I'm going to listen to it maybe uh, later and and probably come to the same conclusion. No, I'm just not hearing. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, all right, it has nothing to do with this list, but uh, it's been stuck in my craw for a couple of days now. Okay, I just needed to get. Glad that you out. got that off your chest. Yeah, I feel better now. <laughs> uh, number six. Uh, numbers coming in at number six. We got uh, Welsh Rockers, The Alarm. Mm. With a song off their album Change called Sold Me Down a River Sold Me Down the River. Now I'm uh, gonna admit this right here. I, I really missed the boat on these guys back in the day. And I, I think over the years I've you know, and maybe unfairly, I've like always confused them for some reason with like the call. Yeah, and like the alarm and the call. Yeah, and like that that one big song that, that sounds like a beer commercial. Sixty eight guns or uh, here's two. Uh let the day begin. Oh, okay. But that's not the alarm. So anyway, this one when I heard it, I was like, that just never really stuck with me. No, it didn't. It, and uh, I'm not saying it's bad or anything, it just never really stuck in my head. I've always the alarm's kind of been lumped in kind of as like a U two type band, because they opened up for U two. Oh, and it was like so U2 did rattle and hum around this time. So I, with this song, I was like, oh, U2 did some blues rock songs. So let's do like a blues rocky song. Also a little bit like Mark Bowl and T-Rex. But also more, I don't know, beer beer commercial blues music that was popular yeah, in the late 80s. It's, I don't know, it's somewhere between a little bit of that overproduced 80s sound. But there, there's something organic about it, too. Yeah. You know. It's, I don't know. The aggressiveness sounds like unwarranted to me. I'm like, I'm like, oh Jesus. Okay, yeah. okay, guys, I get it. I don't know. It's not bad. No, the chorus is pretty just, good. I, it, it doesn't have me, you know. Ripping, ripping off the knob, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have you hoisting your beer mug. Yeah, yeah, like, right. Like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it's. But uh, the calls right. let the day begin. Absolutely does. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, for some odd reason, uh, the big drinking song in college for me was uh, uh, <laughs> "The Night They Drove Old Dixie Town" by the band. <laughs> Oh my, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't sad. know why that happened, but it did. Once again, my life is just like a series of just like getting caught in weird cross drafts where I was just like right time, wrong place, and I just have these weird memories. <laughs> a lot of raising beer mugs to the night. They, they drove old down. What, what do you think of Joan Baez's version of that, by the way? Ugh. I never, you know, I like Joan, but I never liked her version of it, though. Her know? version's awful. And she, she actually, changed it to sound like a train. But and uh, she also, I think, messed up some of the lyrics too. Yeah, but it sounds like a, the Robert E. Lee sounds like a. It's a. It sounds like she, it's. I don't know. She tones it down a little bit. She tones down the southern part of it. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I saw her about. Uh, well, she came to Merrill not that nine long ago. years ago, ten years yeah. ago, uh, at Portsmouth, the music hall there, oh. and it was a great concert. I'm it was sure, super yeah. good. She was very like deferential kind of funny like you know demure but still like engaging it was great it's a great show 
Did she do uh, the night they drove old Dixie down? She did not, oh, and I'm glad. Interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was pretty much her biggest chart hit, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's a song I would say it's probably on the list. I would say I don't think you should cover it. The band just... Well, the band has such a unique sound, mm-hmm. I yeah. think is the problem. Um, but, yeah. Uh, this, of course, brings us into... Oh. The top, top five. five! Oh, yes. Woo. Well, speaking of beer commercial blues music... Oh, God. <laughs> debuting on the charts this week, we got Eric Clapton with a song called Pretending. Okay. From Journeyman. Journeyman, that's the name of the album. Yeah, that was kind of like... Uh, this is peak like blues... Uh, beer commercial blues era, Eric Clapton. What was the name of the song again? Pretending. Pretending. It is and it would become a number player. one hit on the mainstream rock charts, and it was a hit on... Uh, the pop charts. So this, the, the beginning of this song is important, but I'll let you get to it here. Okay. All right. Uh, boom. Let's see here. And the, the cover of the single is very 1989. Okay. You hear this little bit. You're like, oh, he's getting into a funky little uh, little feet thing there. And then, <laughs> and then this. Yeah. The, that beer commercial blues guitar riff. Well, I mean, hey, he did have that revival of uh, After Midnight. Yes. Which is in this exact same vein a couple of years ago. And uh, it was like, you know, that was like, oh, this is the big uh, track you can't get anywhere else. Buy the box set. Which I do have, the Crossroads box set. <laughs> but there's just a lot of interesting things on there. Uh, I will say about this song, it seems to me there's less synthesizers on it. Yeah, it's you know, because a little bit from uh, all the synths August. on like, you know, August and uh, Behind the Sun. Although I will say my favorite Clapton song of that 80s era is She's Waiting. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. He played that at Live Aid. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's... Did Phil Collins play drums on that yep. too? Uh, <laughs> Phil Collins and his uh, uh, other regular drummer. Two drummers for Eric Clapton, just like they were for Led Zeppelin yes. that night. Uh... He closed out the 80s with Journeyman, a familiar celebratory affair that reconciled his mega successful brand of 80s rock. Brand. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Hold on for it. With the rustic blues slash soul slash reggae stew. There's a lot happening in that rustic? Rustic? Blues, soul, reggae stew. Like a stew? With giant 80s drums. Yeah. To me, this is like the sonic cousin of... uh, Phil Collins, but seriously, folks, only the Phil Collins album is better. Mm. Yes. Phil Collins did uh, Eric Clapton better than... Yeah, Phil Collins did not play drums on this song. By the way, I just want to let you know I wore my Susu Studio shirt to this uh, podcast today, which I got at at a concert last year. I had to have it. (laughs) There's a famous story uh, about uh, me and uh, former guest of the show, Krista Rollins. We were going to a comedy show. And our buddy was like, oh, I'll drive. And we were like, great. And so he had an aux cord for uh, the phone. And so we proceeded for the two and a half hour drive to plug the cord into our phones and place a studio nonstop. Wow. <laughs> so we would pass the cord. He could not see this. We were in the back of the car, but we still bothered to put the from theater Port- yeah, from together Port- of putting the phone. <laughs> and we just kept playing. From Portland to Newmarket, New Hampshire, just nonstop Ouch. Sue Studio. The one time I played a live version and he was like, oh, thank God. And then boo, doop doo 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 Well, you know, Phil Collins was no stranger to extended 20-minute uh, songs. So might as well just expand Sue Studio oh, you know, from the Genesis days. Gosh, so funny. Uh, still cracks me up to think about. Uh, number four. Number four. Number oh, four. 
we had a band that featured members of the Eagles earlier with Poco at the God. beginning of the honorable mentions. Now we got the uh, the the front man for the Eagles for lack of a better term, Don Henley with uh, nice the last worthless business. evening <laughs> off of his uh, big solo album, The End of the Innocence. Which really was his biggest selling solo album as far as I know. Yeah. Hmm. It was a monster, tons of hits. There was one rockin' song on that that he did with Axl Rose, remember? Yes. I Will Not Go Quietly, that, that yep. was pretty good. And he played, he uh, he replaced uh, Stephen Adler at the American Music Awards. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Pa- he played Patience with them because uh, Stephen Adler was too fucked up. And they were like, <laughs> uh, Don Henley, come here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a very, like, you know, Don Henley has his, like, middle-aged boomer, like, ponytail, and he's wearing, like, a black Armani suit, and he's playing with Guns N' Roses. With the world's it's, most dangerous band. Yeah, it's just right. like... At least he's playing Patience. It would look really, uh, you know, if he was playing like Night Train or something, it would look really (laughs) weird. I would pay to see that, actually. (laughs) All right, so earlier I mentioned uh, Billy Joel, which we covered there. Great. And uh, we didn't start the fire. The OK Boomer song. This is the OK Boomer album. Yes. Into the Innocence. Last Worthless Evening, Heart of the Matter. Just all like, it's like the Boomer Divorce album. Basically. It's like an album made know, for like divorce boomers. Or, or, you know, my business went up in flames. Or, yeah. you know, I, I lost everything in the 87 stock market crash. <laughs> uh, End of Innocence was uh, co written and co produced by Bruce Hornsby. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. The uh, piano is a, a dead giveaway in that one. And uh, if anybody's wondering what uh, uh, Tom Petty, Heartbreakers drummer, was doing, he was uh, he was on the, working on this album. <laughs> Stan Lynch, he uh, co-wrote this song. I think I heard this all over WHOM for about seven years. This was another album that my uh, my dad especially played again and again and again. I think his favorite one off of that was New York Minute. Yeah, that's a big one off of this, I think. Six minutes, Jesus Christ. He's but hey, he was in the demo. He would have been 45 yeah, when this yeah. album came out. Oh, yeah. So there you go. It's an uh, album made for 45-year-olds in 1989. And here I am. I'm 42, and I just I, I appreciate this album, but I don't feel it. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just not at that point in my life yet. Hmm. Okay. Oh, my God. Don Henley looks so douchey on the cover. He has his hair hanging uh, over his I know. He, his hair looks like shit. Grow the afro back, dude. Yeah. Never should, never, never should have ditched that. Yeah. All right. There's the chorus. We did it. Okay. <laughs> uh, number four. Okay. All right. I, I get it. Uh, it's weird mainstream rock. Cause I, yeah, that's that's bordering adult contempo right there. Yeah. No, that is straight up AC. Yeah, right. yeah, that is definitely a, yeah. That's <laughs> that AC is textbook AC run. for the time. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, number three coming in at number three, we got Aerosmith. Uh. Whoa, off one of their big out, al- probably their biggest album of the eighties, Pump. Yes, Janie's got a gun. Oh, okay, coming okay. in at number three. Okay, and this I think this is the song that was like the start of like. Aerosmith, like phase two, phase two, like they they sold out before that, like permanent vacation. They've done sellout songs before, but this is like we're a serious band. We're more than just cock rock. We're doing a song about child abuse. Music videos directed by David Fincher. Yeah, but what, did they do anything that was socially conscious before that? No, no, nothing. I mean, not not that I can think of. To me, it's always funny that 
when I listen to, I think Permanent Vacation is probably the album I put on the most, although I do like, uh, you know, Big Ten Edge. But it's so funny to think that they were a band that was like popular on the radio when you think of like Love in an Elevator, Big Ten Edge, like the amount of just like, free, it's not innuendo, it's just sex stuff. Yes. Like there's no there's no like double entendre. It's just an entendre. Though to be fair, a big ten inch record was uh, was a cover of an old old uh, I think like an old Jump Blues or something. Uh, so. But you know that, that song was getting played on the radios in the forties. Yeah, not okay. by Steve uh, the Aerosmith version. Oh, I mean, you, <laughs> New Hampshire's own Aerosmith. Yes, thank you for that, New Hampshire. See, I started my radio career just off the shores of Lake Sunapee. Oh, okay. So that that was Aerosmith. I've eaten. I have eaten at the Anchorage where uh, Steven Tyler met Joe Perry. Ah. Was, they have a plaque there. You know, I, I don't remember. I think I still got a house in New London though. It was fairly average. So. I had to do this uh, remote broadcast. It was the weirdest shit ever. So, ha- have you thought about the beverage Yuhu in the last month or so? Not the, the, the chocolate month, milk. But I think about it pretty frequently, at least a couple times. Okay. Here. Well, you're kind of an outlier, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that story, story of Connor's about. life here. Know, yeah. So anyway, uh, if I remember the story correctly, we had to. Um, they picked a small market to like just blitz the air with Yuhu to see if it would bump the sales or anything. <laughs> so we did the summer of Yuhu. It was the summer of 2001. Oh God. And so it was the weirdest thing ever. We we went on boats on lakes. Like some, I think one of our clients lent us his boat or something, and we went around the different lakes, you know, mostly Lake Sunapee, and we tossed Yuhu to other people on boats. <laughs> That's literally what we did. We tossed Yuhu to, to people on boats. All right, okay. That's a great, great. You know, I, I would think you'd want to be, you know, in an accessible place, but no. Well, if you've got I a mean... boat, you can get your Yuhu. But anyway, we sailed past uh, Stephen Tyler's house. He's got a pirate flag. He wasn't home at the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's scarves everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I want to say this, I, so I saw uh, Peter Wolf uh, just the other night, yeah. and uh, it, during the encore, he tied a scarf to his mic stand, clearly an homage to his Boston brethren. Hmm. Right. Any homages to his former roommate David Lynch? During like no, the show? never came up. <laughs> Although very in- interesting. He at one point did raise his hand weirdly and kind of moved it back and forth while talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then a wind comes up. <laughs> Visual bits on so, a podcast. Yeah, uh, of all of the songs so far, at least commercially, I would say that uh, Janie's Got a Gun, at least to this point, is the, the most staying power. Yeah. Of yes. course. The this is actually, yeah, that's probably the first one on the list that still gets radio play. Although I've probably heard Last Worthless Evening more. Oh yeah, I've heard, yeah, Last Worthless <laughs> Evening. If I listen to WHOM long enough, that'll yeah. probably pop You up must there. spend a lot of time in supermarkets. Yeah, right? I gotta go down to Shaw's, pick up some, some things and oh, my God. wait for the Don Henley to come on. Uh, but uh, yeah, oh yeah, Loving an Elevator is on this album as well. Great. Okay. Hello, Mr. Tyler, going down. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, closing in number two. Okay, number two. We've got Neil Young okay. with "Rockin' in the Free World." Whoa! Uh, really? Amazing that the the week that uh, the Berlin Wall fell down, this was not number one. It was number two. Close mm. enough. It was close, but I would uh, I would say the number one band had a big. Uh, mainstream rock attention so it was although i will say that much like bruce springsteen's born in the usa i think uh rocking in the free world upon not even just beyond surface inspection is a very ironic and not it's weird that the chorus is like you know 
people focus on the chorus, but unfortunately, the whole song is very depressing. You're 100% on that. This is the (laughs) ultimate listen to the chorus, but not the uh, the verses song for a lot of people. But I think also this is uh, the number one. Any bar band has the most fun ever with the repeating stuff. And Mm -hmm. when it comes ahead of him saying it, when they're like, baby in her hand. I do get a lot of requests for this around 4th of July. (laughs) Yeah. And this was uh, Neil Young's big comeback album because he probably had the weirdest decade in music history in the 80s. Yeah, this is the only song you put out in that decade that ever got enduring airplay. Yeah. Everything else dropped like a rock. He had, uh, he started off the 80s with, uh, you know, a a pro-Ronald Reagan country album. (laughs) Then he went into uh, synth rock. Trans. Trans, yep. Uh, I listen to that once a year. hmm. It's... It's interesting. Like it is interesting, yeah. but like whenever I'm in the mood for Neil Young, it's like, okay, well, he's got 20 billion albums before 1979 that are like the greatest albums ever recorded. Right. So mm-hmm. I just never really go past, uh, you know, Russ Never Sleeps. Uh, can I just say really quickly, do we all agree, though? Southern men don't need him around anyhow. <laughs> I got ice for that? <laughs> really? Come on. So after Synth, after Trans, which is a synth rock album, he did Everybody's Rockin'. That so David th- Geffen was like, Neil, like this that trans album is fucking bullshit. Like you wanna you gotta do a rock album. You and Neil Young's like, all right, I'll do a rockabilly album. That was like the greatest fuck you ever. Yes. Yeah. It was so good. Like an old old timey like fifties rock and roll album. And then he went back to country again with old ways. And then uh, new wave. Yeah, he had David a, he Geffen had, tried to sue him. He had a quote around that time, yeah. which I, I think I saw. It might have been in the in the book called Shaky, and he was like, "Stop telling me what to do, or I'll turn into George Jones." <laughs> <laughs> you know the whole thing about Tom Waits. Uh, somebody told him that he sounded like Barry Manilow, and so that's why he started doing the super gruff, like weird stuff of like uh, uh, whatever's post closing time. Barry Manilow? Are you serious? Yeah, somebody's heard. I, I just don't time. hear. I I prefer his seventies vocalizations yeah. to to what came later. But sure. you know, I mean, I, you can never go wrong with uh, Nighthawks at the Diner. Nighthawks at the Diner. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even Small Change is yes. a great album. Um, but yeah, that's funny. David Geffen, Geffen tried to sue him for all those antics that he. Yeah, he calling. said you don't sound enough like Neil Young, and Neil Young's like, I am Neil Young. <laughs> uh, and then before this, before Freedom, which is the album that uh, Rock in the Free World was on, he did This Notes for You, which okay, is, uh, that got a little airplay. A little, yeah. That's a, a, a beer commercial blues music. He had a horn section. Yeah, that's about as gimmicky as Neil Young ever got. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Still not as gimmicky as the song about Neil Young from Poco that we discussed earlier. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> can you get much more gimmicky than that? Uh, I am not related to Neil Young. Okay, great. <laughs> Maybe you... he should have released that after in the in the eighties, after mm. Neil Young, bef- before Neil Young was a while his stock legend. was low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is so funny because the opening track is "Crime in the City" Part One. And there's no crime in the city part two. <laughs> well, there, there's a, there's a few of those out there, <laughs> like like the Rolling Stones at Dance Part One. But I think no like, Dance Part Two. No, it, yeah, exactly. Well, there was one, but it wasn't on the album. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, there, there's a few of those kicking around. I mean, uh, Episode Four, Star mm-hmm. Wars. <laughs> we started right in the middle. <laughs> By the way, there's no Episode Two of the uh, or Volume Two of the Traveling Wilburys. Huh? No, there's only one, Volume One and Volume, volume Three. three. 
great yeah. great uh i always love that the pic the like really great picture where they're all just standing around roy orbison <laughs> and roy orbison's just sitting in a chair just like why am i here <laughs> I look 90 and somehow all these dudes look 60 and they're all 30 <laughs> yeah but like Roy Orbison's probably only as old as like Dave Grohl is now yeah right he wasn't that old he seems like he was 70 but he was only like 50 something yeah that. right he's Paul Rudd's age <laughs> yeah. yes and and you know it's not fair to compare Tom Petty because he was still what in his late 30s at the time but Roy's voice was the one that held up the best of all of those guys yes, yes. for sure mm-hmm. uh, not Bob Dylan uh <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I actually like Bob Dylan singing on that better than on any of his 80s albums. I can get behind that 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and I like Oh Mercy. Which, yeah, okay. that was on the chart. There was a Everything is Broken from Oh Mercy was on this chart somewhere. Oh, like number 93, probably. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who was trying to make it? Yeah. 21. Oh, wow. But that's it, actually not that bad. But that's peaked, pretty good. It, it made the top 10. It peaked at number eight. Oh. Good well, Daniel Lenoir on the uh, on the production on that one. Again, go. we got Daniel Lenoir. The last episode, I was mixing up Steve Lillywhite and Daniel Lenoir. Yeah. There's all these producers. Usually, it's Mutt Lang, so I'm, I'm glad we're talking about Daniel Lenoir. We're getting and Steve away Lillywhite, from Def Leppard for 10 Mutt seconds. <laughs> uh, well, very exciting. We have reached number, number one. one. November the 11th, year of our Lord, 1989. Great. Uh, one of my favorite bands. Oh, uh, they've popped up a couple episodes. Not their best work. The Rolling Stones. Okay. Off Steel Wheels, song called "Rock in a Hard Place." I guess that's appropriate. The week the Berlin Wall fell, Cute. talking about a ro- rock and hard places. And- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of shocked that this ever was a number one rock hit. I mean, I know it was big. I just never remember it being as big as, say, like Mixed Emotions. But mm-hmm. I, I dig the tune. Yeah, it's it's solid. I feel like Steel Wheels um, got a lot of play just on the basis of everybody thought the Rolling Stones were going to break up. I uh, Medium to hot take. I don't think Steel Wheels is that much better than Dirty Work, which is the album that they almost broke up over mm. and everybody hated. But people's that Steel Wheels is the return of the Rolling Stones, and I don't know. Well, they and they had the monster tour. Yes, one of which the started of in time. Foxborough, by the way. Yep. And this kind of, you know, it, it's got that dancey little beat to it. Yeah, there is a did, dance. Did, did they make a, a dance cut of this? Yeah. Okay, that does not surprise me. I mean, it will never be better than Emotional Rescue when it, when you come to that realm. Is their last top forty hit? It made it to twenty three on okay. the on the the pop charts. I I do play this on my station once in a, a blue moon. Yeah. And it always sounds good in that big FM signal. Yeah. But this is the Stones basically coloring by numbers. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I dig it. And, and yeah. Steel Wheels is actually the last Rolling Stones album I ever gave a damn about. See, never, I, I, was, I never really got into Voodoo Lounge. I'm a big or, Voodoo Lounge guy. I thought Voodoo Lounge was the their big... Uh, if there's one post-Tattoo uh, You Rolling Stones album that I rep, I would say Voodoo Lounge is it for me. <laughs> Not even under cover of the night. <laughs> Uh, I need to read up more on, uh, you know, the gun squads in Central America. Maybe that album will have more resonance for me. <laughs> Although I will say, I never got into Voodoo Lounge, but I did like uh, Mick Jagger's solo album from from '93. Yeah, Wandering Spirit. Yes, uh, thank Rick Rubin you. produced it. That's a pretty good. '93. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Probably shot I mean, on a '93 episode. In a hard place. 
I don't know. He might have been crowded out by all the grunge that was uh, coming up around that time. See, you know, there is a disco bass happening. Yeah, there, there totally is. Uh, the last Rolling Stones album to feature Bill Wyman on bass, by the way. Okay. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Before he uh, he retired, and he said he wouldn't he wouldn't have retired if he'd known the Stones were going to go on for thirty more years. He's like, <laughs> I assumed we were going to stop. Well, he needed to settle going. down with his seventeen year old bride right. or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I just heard a story the other day about uh, Jerry Lewis. Uh, talking to somebody backstage and he was like I got some advice for you never marry your cousin (laughs) 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 it's like well if I was gonna get some advice from Jerry Lewis I guess that's it oh my gosh I'll tell you what though my favorite song off of uh, Steel Wheels Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be a Keith Richards solo song but it was the ballad on there uh 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 is it? Almost to your side. Almost Thank to your you. side. Yeah, they still play that. They still play that sometimes. I <laughs> think that song should have been a much bigger hit than it was. And had it come out again, you know, a few years earlier, I think it would have been. Yeah, if it had been in a yeah. different time. But to me, it, it is one of my all-time favorite Rolling Stones ballads, and it just doesn't get the credit that it deserves. So right. I will, I will give it a plug right there. Great. All right, Steel Wheels, Rolling Stones. I'll uh, get to the top five. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. What you got? I, let me give me a quick second. Give me, um, give me, give me. <laughs> now, the rule, we can dip into the honorable mentions. We can dip into the honorable okay. mentions as well. Um, Are you going first, Connor? I'll go first. Okay. Just give me one second. I didn't. You, did, you didn't do your show prep? I didn't do my show prep today. I was uh, <laughs> You missed me earlier. I woke up at noon. I ate Taco Bell for breakfast. Did you get I, your free Taco Bell, uh, thanks to Trey Turner, by the way, from the World Series a couple of days ago? Was it a free taco? Yeah, they I had the Steal a Base, Steal a Taco. Did you get yours? We got some Damn. kind of taco, free taco, but I think that might have been because they forgot Leah's taco. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did eat a burrito for breakfast and not a breakfast burrito last weekend. Uh, and it was a great choice. I'm on the fourth day of a four-day weekend, so forgive me for my brain not okay. working. Um, <laughs> I was going to have two eggs this morning, but I opened my fridge and there was only one left. And who makes one egg? Not me. Welcome to breakfast talk. <laughs> <laughs> As the sun goes down on this Portland day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I figured it out. Uh, number five, I'm going to go with the Rolling Stones Rock in a Hard Place. Okay. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with the Tom Petty song, Love is a Long Road. Mm-hmm. Not, Not the best song off the album, but I think it's good enough for number four on yeah, this definitely. list. Number three, um, I'll go with Neil Young, Rockin' in the Free World. Mm-hmm. It's one of those songs where, it's, again, like we've talked about it, songs that are so ubiquitous, it's like... What do you have to say about it? What do you have to say about it? It's right. just... It's been covered countless times. I uh, I did get to see Pearl Jam perform it live, and I gotta say, it was great. Would I have preferred they close out with Yellow Lead better? Yes. <laughs> Was I happy they played Rock in the Free World? Absolutely. Was Eddie Vedder wasted? Absolutely. <laughs> Is Red Wine drunk? Oh, yeah. I'd rather hear them trying Cortez the Killer, but, you know. Okay, all right. And they like probably to, have. I'd like to hear them uh, play something off of Trans. <laughs> <laughs> Sample and hold? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Neil Young was number three. Neil Young's number three. Number two, I'm going to go with uh, the pride of New Hampshire, Aerosmith. Janie got a gun. Okay. Today. Number one, a little bit, maybe a little bit of an upset, but I'm going to go with the Smithereens, Girl Like You. That song's 
the yeah. one that sounded the best to 2019 years. Yeah, I, I, can I can't hate that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, <laughs> I forgot we could include. No, I'm gonna stand with it. I yeah. forgot we could include the honorable mentions, but I don't think it would have been. I think it would have. No, I'm not gonna change it. Good I. Man. I'll say I forgot that Poco was on there, and I really like the Poco song. Okay, well, just that'll Vegas be your number topper. six. Yeah, yeah that'll be go. my number six. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, you ready? Uh, my top five? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? And and maybe it's just because I, I kind of came back into the song with a bit of an open mind, and maybe I'm going to have it at number five for, for what it makes me think of more than what it is. Okay. But I'm going to put number five. This is very controversial. I'm going to put the bottom song there. Wait for you. Again, because okay. it, it makes me think of Robert Plant. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, kind of bargain basement. So, bottom, number five, wait for you. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with Rockin' a Hard Place. Again, I mm-hmm. dig it. I like that jam. It makes me uh, shake body parts Yeah, in my head. It's not actually, you know, to the outside world. <laughs> uh, number three, I'm going to go with Smithereens, Girl Like You. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, and uh, that's a band I really need to kind of dive back into. It's been a long time. Uh, number two, I think number two, we're going to go with Tom Petty, Love is a Long Road. Great. Number one, and this could just be my bias, uh, Neil Young, Rockin' in the Free World. So there you go. Okay. Neil Young's like kind of a, a top ten all-time guy for me, so. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah. Uh, let me... Sorry, Poco. <laughs> Poco didn't make the cut. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, Richard Marks. Yeah, right. Uh, he got Poco back together for nothing. He didn't even make the top five. I did read that uh, he they opened for him on a tour, which is like that's like kind of weird. Yes, because like you're, album, you're, yeah. you're going you're going to see all the power ballads and all that stuff, and and here you got this old band coming up and like, hey, you guys like this song called "Come On"? Yeah, I bet the parents mm-hmm. that were taking their kids to Richard Marks like Poco opening mm-hmm. up, like, oh. I'm- I remember those guys. <laughs> uh, okay. Come this on is... from the uh, live Deliverin' album, by the way, which had an intro, a spoken intro by my all-time most influential favorite radio DJ, Charles Lacquadero of WBCN. So. Nice. Okay. Given this list, uh, I'm going uh, Neil Young for number five, Rockin' in the Free World. It's a classic. Uh and that just completely warbly guitar solo has me cracking up every time. Uh, I'm going Rolling Stones, number four. Mm-hmm. Rocking a hard place. I like it. It's a danceable tune. Uh, number three, I'm going Whitesnake. It's stuck in my head. I I've knew lo- that would make it somewhere. Yeah. I'm surprised, oh, yeah. a little bit surprised it wasn't your number one. Yeah, I, I just kind of, I'm feeling more like what I actually would listen to right now if I had the choice. You know, what I'm th- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So number two, I'm going Aerosmith. Janie's Got a Gun. Uh, would I prefer Love in an Elevator? Sure. But I'll take Janie's Got a Gun. I like it. It's weird. Uh, that intro is bizarre. And then number one, I'm going Tom Petty. I think if I if you were to say which of these songs do you want to put on right now, I'm going to go Love is a Long Road. Uh, did I almost put Last Worthless Evening on this list? Yes. Absolutely. I, I, like, I like 80% of yours. <laughs> that, I just yeah. never got into the White Snake thing. I've, I've just never cared much for White Snake. Yeah, and I, maybe it's just because I hold David Coverdale's days in Deep Purple in such high regard. You know? Sure, I, for me it's the Steve Vai thing. I was such a huge guitar nut in you know middle school and high school that 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 just dives in for me. Yeah. I or I should qualify kind of early White Snake. You know, Angel sure. Love and the Heart of the, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, right on. Well, this was episode nine. Episode nine. Just nope. a quick sneak preview that we do every couple episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, we're going to do in honor of Joe Walsh's birthday. Oh. We're going to do June 20th, 1981, early into the charts. Um, yeah, he hit number one this week, so that's a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah. but tiny spoiler. Tiny spoiler. W- what Was it the song from A 40-Year-Old Virgin? I can't tell you. Okay. No, I'm but, just I'm uh, throwing a clue. I'm I'm helping you tease this for the next uh, installment. Probably Judd Apatow fans. You might want to <laughs> tune in next week. Now I want to listen to my Barnstorm album. This is actually good. Great. Uh, then the week after, uh, Thanksgiving week, in honor of the last waltz, we're going to have November 28th, 1987. Robbie Robertson features prominently on the charts. Oh. But it's also around It's the anniversary of that week. But yeah, late 80s. And then in three weeks, we're going to do December the 9th, 1995. Hmm. Nin- December of 1995. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Elastica had fallen off the charts by that time. Probably, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent. So December 9th, 1995, here's a teaser. It, uh, the biggest rock band of all time makes their rock chart debut this episode. Hmm. The biggest rock band of all time? Yes. The Beatles? <laughs> the, the one remember that the mainstream rock chart started in 1981 so right. yeah, yeah. all then well okay i think it's a band that i saw a lot of posters of in college from 95 to 99 so i'll just leave it at that it's gonna be wings isn't it <laughs> huge in 95 uriah Paul mccartney's Heath wings their mainstream rock chart debuts. easy living with big drums <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, that's been episode nine. I'd like to thank Lee Erickson. You can hear him on Frank FM delivering ski reports all over. Uh, I'll be in my ski report mode, which actually, funny story, that although uh, we carry on my station the ski reports that I do, somebody else does them because you hear enough of me in one day. <laughs> so, But I do ski reports for stations across the land. You got any so. predictions for ski season 2019, 2020? I, I'm going to say average. Average. Yeah. Sunday River hasn't opened yet at the time of the recording of this. Uh, but they just started making snow, so I'm should I'm be hoping. open by the holiday week. Yeah, absolutely. Next so I, I will hopefully get my first day of skiing in before December first. Whoop, whoop. Well, maybe we'll do an episode from the ski resort, Nick. Yeah, we'll be tossing yuhus to people. Yeah, tossing. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, this has been less rock, less more rock, talk. more talk. Mm-hmm.